Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where new signings are guaranteed a great debut. Join and choose your welcome offer at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, my name is Jonna, and I play football for Chelsea FC and for the Swedish national team. And you are listening to the Blue Day podcast. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that will never end. Yes, this is the Blue Day podcast. And for Chelsea fans everywhere, every day is a Blue Day. I am your host, the creator, the man with a face for podcasting, Keith Lawrence. And joining me this week, he has returned. He's the tower of power. He's too sweet to be sour. He's a man who would teach that Muppet Harry Maguire thing or two about defending. Here is Steve Wick. Steve, welcome back to the Blue Day podcast. How are you this evening? I'm all right, Keith. I feel good. How about you? You okay? I'm fine. Just got over three games in one week, which was yeah. uh, not not bad to do. I freely admit yeah. it was stressful driving there to and from the house to, to, to Chelsea. If, if anybody has ever driven there before, they probably understand it is stressful, especially when you're going through Camberwell, for example, or even Vauxhall. But absolutely good. I'm absolutely fine. It's nice that Chelsea have got a bit of momentum now, which we, we will touch on with the games that we've played. Again, people will talk about the standard of opposition, but then you've been there as a player and as a coach, Steve. You can only beat what's in front of you. And yeah. you look at the performances, it's been there, especially with Malmo and Norwich, more specifically. And... We will. We are going to touch on some of the players, some of the players that we think have done well over the last three games, some of the players that still need to brush up on their technical ability. There is talent there. We we're not saying there isn't, but technical ability, we are questioning it, and we are going to question it on this podcast today. So, Steve, we'll, we'll, we'll start off with the game last week, and we, I spoke to you at length before the game. It was against Malmo in the Champions League. And we touched on the type of opposition. Again, Chelsea European night is always a good, always a very good occasion. And the game against Malmo, we showed our class. We, we we did really show our class. It was the game where Lukaku and Werner picked up the injuries. Thankfully, touch wood, we haven't missed them as such yet. Mm. Hopefully, Werner will be back next week potentially there is rumours that he's going to be back in light training next week um, but we won 4-0 your 
good friend and somebody who I do rate, Christensen, got his first goal for Chelsea, finally. And overall, we did play well against Malmo. So we'll start off with that, although it was a week ago. But it was a massive win for us, bearing in mind the Juventus result, which was a poor result. We needed three points, didn't we, Steve, to get back on track in the yeah, Champions we, League? Yeah, we need to get... See, when you lose a game like that in, in Turin, the pressure comes on you again comes back to you. If we'd have won that game, everyone would be saying, you know, oh, Chelsea, they've qualified from the group, they'd be fine, they've got Juventus at home. But all of a sudden, that defeat, it puts a bit of pressure. And the boys responded well. I think that gap between the Malmos and the big, and certainly the Premier League sides, has, has got wider over the past. And I think it's a game we should win. Um, and you can only beat people, you know, the opponents in front of you. And, uh, and 4 nils are very very good result. It's a good result. It sets a marker down, I believe, for the rest of the group. And the fact we've got Malmo coming up next week, if we win that, we are near enough home and dry on that front when it comes to qualifying. But Jorginho got two penalties. That obviously helps out with his confidence. We'll talk about Jorginho later on on the show. And then Havertz got his goal. Now, he's the one now that has got to lead the line because of Lukaku injury and the and the Timo Werner injury. How important is it for Havertz that he gets the goals now and that he performs well? Because we know that he's not an out-and-out centre-forward, but he's got to be the guy that can lead the line for Chelsea effectively, bearing in mind who we're playing coming up and hopefully Lukaku and Werner will be ready hopefully by mid-November at least till the end of November when we've got Manchester United at home. But how do you think Havertz has done so far in the role that he's had to fill in? And what do you expect Havertz to to do between now and eventually when Lukaku comes back? I think he's a very bright, intelligent footballer, Havertz. Um, and as Man City has proven... Uh, you know, if you're a good, I think Pep said it in a in a comment. He said, "If you're a good enough player, you can play anywhere." And I think he's a very talented, intelligent footballer. Um, and I think he can do, he can play that role, and I think he's important to the team, whether he plays at ten or whether he plays at nine. I think he can lead the line. Um, and I think I read the other day that Chelsea, the only team in the Premier League where sixteen different players have scored goals so far in the league. 16 players, different players have scored goals for Chelsea Football Club. So I think that looks, that, that is a great sign. Where you share the, you know, obviously you want your centre forward to get 20 goals a season. But if other players are coming in with their, with their amounts of goals, that's also important. And I think Havertz has, has got the ability from midfield and maybe playing centre forward over the season to score 15 goals a season. And if you can get Lukaku scoring his 20, that, that that's, you know, makes good reading. And the others sort of coming in with 10s and 11s and 12s, you know, uh, that honestly, trust me, that's a good sign. Even with Havertz coming on as a sub against Malmo, he did affect the game to his strengths. And I hear certain Chelsea fans, whether at the, at the ground or at work or wherever, saying to me, Havertz isn't good enough. 
Havertz hasn't performed. And I'll just turn around and say, what do you expect from him? Do you expect him to score hat-tricks every week? He's not going to do that how we are playing at the moment. And Havertz isn't, again, an out-and-out centre-forward. But people have, people have criticised Havertz, rightly or wrongly. That's that's people's opinion. But Havertz, as you say, has needs to lead the line effectively. And I think he will do, bearing in mind who we're playing coming up and who who have we played in the recently. Norwich at home, people were criticising his performance, saying that he was the weak link in the game against Norwich, which I thought was utterly madness to even suggest that. And even last night, someone mentioned when we were, when I was coming out the ground last night, Steve, someone said, oh, all Havertz did was score. Well, it's a bit of a, an, an asinine thing to say because if Kai Havertz didn't score, we wouldn't have won, won the game. So I think people need to sort of lower their expectations in regards to Havertz, bearing in mind he's not playing his position that he would have he would play for Germany or where he played for Bayer Leverkusen. We're going to talk about players not playing in their rightful positions in a minute. But I think that people need to lay off Havertz a little bit. Yes, he's coming with a lot of money. Bear in mind, this is a guy who did score the win in the Champions League final. Let's not yep. forget that. I and hope Chelsea don't forget that. Little, and uh, yeah. It wasn't a tap-in. No. It's not like he tapped it in from two yards. This is a guy who no. scored a wonderful goal in the Champions League final. He's got the ability. He's got the credentials. See how he gets on as a centre-forward. I thought he did okay against Norwich. All right, he didn't score, but there were five other players that scored. You know, we, we scored enough goals against Norwich without having to worry, oh, Havertz hasn't scored. So another player who, for me, has come on leaps and bounds, even from sort of the start of the season against Crystal Palace, is Chalaba. Again, people said, oh, he didn't play well at times against Brentford. He struggled. I was gobsmacked with that assessment because I thought Chalaba played quite well against Brentford. But he's starting to look a proper player now. He's starting to look more mature than what he did at the start of the season against Crystal Palace when he came on. Last night, I thought, showed that. Yes, it wasn't his finest game, but he was there in the right place. He was there in the right positions. And I'm looking forward to seeing how Chalaba progresses this season because he is going to get the games. It's not like he's going to just play the League Cup. He is going to get the games in the league as well, Steve. I don't quite understand. I don't understand what moaning Chelsea fans, you know, what they expect. You got Havertz, who's what is he, twenty-two? Uh, he's he scored the winning goal in the Champions League final. He, for large parts of last season, I thought played really well, and he was the shining light. I thought, um, and I just think some people have got short memories. Um, and Chalabar, you know. You've got a young man there, and I know it's in a very, very hard position for a young man to play, and that's centre back. You're you're found out in that position, mm. and you've you've got and you the only way you learn as a centre half is through making mistakes. And he's going to make a few mistakes, but I'll tell you what, ability wise, I can't think of another. How old is he, Keith? Oh, god, this me. He's Early 20s, at least. Yeah, I can't think of another centre-back that has all those attributes that he has. 
he looks comfortable on the ball. He gets the ball and he, get, he moves forward. He's quick. He's good in the air. And actually, I thought in the Brentford game, when they started to get on top of us in the last 20 minutes, bearing in mind the game should have been over in the first 70 minutes, I thought he did okay, considering. I, I really did. And uh, that was a real test for him. That was a real test. And uh, and he came through it and we won 1-0. Um, and he, he's... Just give him time. Yeah. Give him time. Because that's one of the most important positions on a football field. And uh, as a centre-back, you don't come to your peak until you're 27, 28. So just give him time. And if he makes a mistake, help him. Don't crucify him. And I think if he does make a mistake, he's going to have the players around him that will help him with that. He's got players around him like Rudy yeah. Thiago well, Silva. Yeah, I'll go Silva. He's got, he's got arguably the best centre-back you know, in the world over the last five, six years. He's got him there and I'm sure he's the type of guy that will be helping him. Yes. And he's going to learn. You know, he's, you know, uh, you know, and I think I've heard rumors that Rudiger is going at the end of the season. And if, if so, you've got an ideal person to replace him. You don't even have to go out and buy anybody because this boy, trust me, has everything to be a very, very, very good centre-back. Very good. And certainly good enough to play for England. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it's only a matter of time. I, I, I don't even believe it's if. I believe it's when he, he will absolutely. be for England. But another sort of defender I did want to uh, touch, a, touch on you're talking about He's, my mate. Your friend, the guy who finally, after so many years of being in the squad and being in and out of the team and having different managers, scored for the first time against Malmo. It was a great moment to, to see him, especially with his reaction to it. I think he was more shocked than more anything else. And he just ran sort of towards the Malmo supporters. Andreas Christensen, fantastic for him to get his first goal. It's been a while. But... My goodness, he he just he has got better under Tuchel, and he just seems to be somebody you can now rely on as another centre back option. Mm. But you've been, think... you been calling it for nearly a year, Steve. You've been calling it for mm. quite some time that this is a guy that give him time, be patient, he will come good. And at the moment, he's playing partly the best football what we've seen him play. And you've got a foundation now with Christensen, with Chalabar, with Marling Saab, depending on how he gets on. That could be a back-free partnership for the next five years, at least. Yeah, I, I, I've always said, Keith, and if you break down a player... And I love looking at centre-backs. I love... Um, if you, and you break down the ability. Hmm. The big problem Christensen had was his mentality. Because he, he had every single attribute. He's quick. He's good in the air. Um, he's good on the ball. He passes the ball beautifully. But to me, the only question that I had was his mentality. And he seems to me that Tuchel has come in and demanded certain things that have made him a much, much better player. You know, you you have 
managers in your life which affect you as a player. Um, I had it in my life with Terry Venables. Um, and sometimes someone's got to tell you how good you are and he believes in you to really maximise your potential, get it out and your mentality and what he expects of you and what you can give him and what you can give the team. And I think that he, as we sit at the moment, I think is one of the most improved players under Tuchel. I think that you could, there is. He's a prime example. And what I quite like about uh, Tuchel is that, my, to me, a coach doesn't go into a football club and buy him, buy him, buy him, buy him and buy him because, to me, that's not coaching. What I think a coach should do is have the ability to improve players. And I think Tuchel has shown with Alonso, with Rudiger, with, with Christensen, Chalabar's appeared, that he's prepared to work with players and improve players. And that, to me, is the sign of a great coach. You know, everyone I hear about Jose. Jose this, Jose that. Yeah, Jose. When Chelsea were... Jose was fantastic. The truth of the matter, to me, with Jose, if I look at it, he was only concerned with players that could alter his CV, i.e. win trophies. He had no idea about Chelsea. He didn't want to know about Chelsea's future. And if you look what he's done, he's probably sold the number one and the number two best players in the world, Salah and De Bruyne. Because they wouldn't, at that time at Chelsea, affect his CV and win trophies so he could put on his CV, he got rid of two fantastic young players. And it's also cost us £90 million to get another one he threw away. And I think Jose Mourinho, yeah, he's great when he's got millions of pounds to spend and go out and buy the ready-made player that he can just put into a jigsaw and we win everything. I think what Tuchel is doing, to me, is showing what a good coach he is. He's working with the players he's, he's got. He's improving the players he's got unbelievably. And to me, that's a sign of an elite coach. And I think one example of that, when you look at managing your squad and working with each player, getting their strengths together and not just working on the physical side, but the mental side. And we have to talk about Ben Chilwell in that because there was, at the start of the season, he wasn't getting a look in. Alonso was scoring goals and his performances merited him staying in, in, in the starting lineup. Chilwell just came in, has done brilliantly in the games that he has played. He scored the winner against Brentford. He scored a good goal against Southampton the other week. He's getting back to his best a little bit, Ben Chilwell. He, I don't, he came on sort of last night. He played as a right wing back last night, which was which was kind of odd, being a being a left footer. But he did very well against Norwich. He he took his goal well. How, Steve? Just sort of a, with your opinion, how big of a, an effect is it that when you've been out of the side for a while and you're thinking? How am I going to get a game? Where am I going to get a game? What do I need to do to improve? And then you've got that manager that goes, come on, son, you are going to be part of my plans. Here you go. Here's the game. Enjoy yourself. 
again, I look at uh, Thomas and I, I look at the way he, he is and the way he behaves himself. And that's the test of a of a really good manager is when you're dealing with players that aren't in the squad. How do you deal with them? Do you talk to them? Do you help them? And also, bearing in mind, and I don't care what anyone says, Chilwell is a better left back than Shaw. I don't care what. Agreed. To me, I agree. I don't. That. He allows people to cross the ball too easily. I think would I rely on him when things got tough? No, I wouldn't. Ben Chilwell to me is the best left back in the country, and I think you've got to put to that that he also went into the Euros as the number one left back and never played one game. And to me, if I was him, I'd have been heartbroken. He then comes back to Chelsea. And he's not in the team. So he's had two major... And this is why I go back to mentality and mental strength. Is how do you deal with that? Do you have it in you to say, I'm going to work my socks off and I'm going to prove to the, the gaffer or the boss that I'm the best left back in this club. Get your head down and work. And I think Ben Chilwell has done that. He's come out the other side and he will be a better player for that. And I think, for what it's worth, it'd be England's left back very, very shortly. I like him as a player. We will see on that. I think it depends on how his competitors get on this season. But I think Ben Chilwell was a cert for. If you said to me Trippier and Shaw, full backs, bearing in mind he played Trippier at left back, there's no comparison with Trippier and um, Chilwell. Hmm. Chilwell was a much better player. Much better player. Want to briefly touch on the Norwich win, seven nil. I did feel sorry for Norwich. I've got sort of past connections with the club, so I wasn't sort of a. I wasn't one of those that was chanting "You're going down," you know, "You're shit," and you know you are. I weren't I weren't part of that? Um, it, mind you, it was great to see the shed singing near enough for the full ninety minutes. I did enjoy seeing that in the Matthew Harding end. Um, and the fact it was the anniversary of Matthew Harding's passing, he would have looked down on that with that win, saying, yeah, well done, lads. But 7-0 against Norwich, it's quite hard to analyse a, a team that's going for the title when you've beaten a side so convincingly. But I do want to touch on a few bits. Mount getting his first hat-trick for Chelsea, that was huge, bearing in mind he hasn't had... A good goal-scoring record recently. The fact he's now got that off his shoulder, he's got a hatch, he's got his first hat-trick for Chelsea, he's fantastic. You know, Ben Chilwell scored. hudson Adoy got a goal. Well, I would like to talk about him in a minute, but he obviously got his goal. And players like Loftus-Cheek performed really well against Norwich as well. And again, you can only beat what's in front of you. It was a good time to play them. And it just gave the momentum whereby... And it did remind me a little bit of yesteryear, you know, the last 10, 15 years, whereby there's an expectancy to win, but you look at the team that's out there and you think, yeah, we're going to win today. We, we are going to yeah. perform and we are going to win. And, you know, when he puts the likes of... He left Kante out of the squad against Norwich and James came in, he scored a good goal, you know, good, good third goal as well. Jorginho played well again and with Havertz, three points at this stage is good. Bearing in mind, you look at the rivals 
around us. They're all playing each other. You know, United played Liverpool the day after, and we weren't to know what was going to happen with that. But as you say, to get the points in the bag now at this stage of the season is vital, and to get the performance in. I thought the Norwich game, yeah, it's very hard to analyse it when you're top against bottom, but I thought that win was a statement of intent whereby we are going to fight Liverpool. We are going to fight Man City for this title. It's not going to be a two-horse race. We are here to try and get our title back. Because it's been, Someone said to me last night against Southampton, it's been five years since we've won the title. And some fans are going nuts to think, oh my God, it's five years. You know, it's five years. Certain people have waited a lot longer. Some, some people have waited 50 years won, for it. We just won. We are champions of Europe, for God's sake. We are. Yeah, and we haven't won the league, but our club performed miracles last year. <laughs> miracles. We won the champion. We, we are the champions of Europe. And all this, when people say, what would you rather have, the Premier League or, the, or be champions of Europe? To me, there's no comparison. I'd want, God, to be champion league, league winners of, and champions of Europe, to me, is a fantastic statement. And, you know, we, uh, we've spoken a little bit about mentality. I cannot, for the life of me, understand the mentality of Norwich City Football Club. I cannot. And I can't read anything into Chelsea beating them 7-0 because I think they are gutless. I think the whole club is gutless. And when you look that Brentford have come into the league, Norwich were champions, Brentford have come into the league and they've attacked it. They've gone for it. They've devised a way of playing football and they've gone for it. And they've been a credit to themselves. Um, and I love watching Brentford play. As a Chelsea fan, I love watching Nor Norwich play if we win 7-0. But I don't know how to gauge that win because I've never seen such a, a pathetic outfit in the Premier League that go into the games thinking they're going to get stuffed and putting up a very, very mediocre fight. Um, and so I don't know how to how to gauge that. I, I really don't. And, you know, and, and it's happened before. They've come up and done exactly the same thing again. But I think they could go down with less points than Derby if they don't at least have a go. You know, they allowed Chelsea to play. There was no closing down. There was no trying to stop. There was no game plan. There was nothing. They just went out there, made the numbers up and got absolutely stuffed without a wimp. Without a whimper. Fair um, play to the supporters who stayed to the end. I didn't see many that were leaving after three, four, five nil, whatever. Um, but I'm going to touch on sort of two players that sort of played against Norwich, but also played last night against Southampton. We're going to touch on the game last night. Uh, Carabao Cup against Southampton. It was a bit of a weird atmosphere because it was half you know, English half term for the schools, so the kids there was more kids there. Again, because it's a midweek game, you it's different atmospheres between midweek and the Saturday games. 
and it sort of partly came down to the same sort of type of lack performance from Chelsea. Whether or not it's too many changes, you know, years ago, Steve, I mean, you would have seen it as well that Chelsea would have made 11 changes. They would have put the kids on. They would have sort of, you know, put players on that have hardly featured for Chelsea. Well, I looked at the squad last night. There was players that, you know, maybe played last week. So I thought it was a wasn't the wasn't the full strength squad or full strength eleven, but there was enough quality there to beat them over ninety minutes. That's that's what I'm saying. And one man who, as we've touched on before, we started recording, Steve Kepa Ariza Balaga. Now I've not been his biggest fan at all. People that have been fans of the podcast will know that. Steve, I want to ask you this question. Do you believe he's the best number two goalie in Europe now? Um, I, 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 I can't gauge that because I haven't seen everyone. But what I've, I have said in the past, and I've gone on record to say, is that he had a Tory time. Uh, and again, I can't stress this enough. Turgo has come into the club and he's rebuilding him. It's gone as it's his confidence, the way he must have felt, has gone to the lowest ebb, I would have thought. And I think Tuchel again has come in and he's starting to rebuild him. He's starting to play. From what I understand, I didn't see the game yesterday, but he also made two very important saves that saved us in the game. Oh my goodness, yes. It was in it was in injury time. Uh, Southampton yeah. were piling on the pressure. There was corners galore. I was sat in the Shed upper, so I had a very good view of it. And Kepper made two outstanding saves. And I do believe it's not just Kepper's ability. I don't, I'm not sort of downgrading Kepper's performance at all because he got man in the match uh, last night, and rightfully so. But Kepper under Sari or Lampard, he would not have got to those no, sh- uh, no. shots. Again, you know, I can't stress enough that the sign of a good coach is is someone that maximises the, the ability of players uh, within his squad and some of the hardest things he's at, Alonso was pop scrappy um, Christensen was ignored um, Kappa was absolutely I don't know where that man would have felt he was at one stage, you know, because he was ridiculed not only by other people's fans, but by our own fans. And what he's done, he's got his head down. I would imagine he's worked his socks off. There must have been something there for us to have paid the money that we paid in the first place, which was a world record for a goalkeeper. Mm. Um, And again, you've got to give unbelievable um, respect to the coaching staff that have rebuilt him and has has made him believe in his game again. Um, And that's what I see about Chelsea and that's what I like about this manager, this this coach, is that he has the ability to do that. Um, Which, you know, I think, again, if Jose had bought him, he wouldn't be at the club anymore. And yet, you know, this guy has come in and he's re- rebuilt and created what I think, and I still think, is the best squad in the Premier League. I think Liverpool are playing brilliantly at the moment. 
but they haven't got the depth in is in the squad that we've got. Uh, Man City have got a very, very, very good squad, but we're up there with them. Uh, we are up there. Man United have got a very, 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 very good squad, but actually, for what it's worth, they haven't got the elite coach that we've got. I still think their defence is poor. Personally, I, I, I've never rated Oli as a as a coach slash manager, but I've never rated United's defence. I still think United's defence is the weakest link. And um... do, do you know, they spent on their defence. Let's, let's work this out. They spent thirty. Was it thirty five million for sure? Something like that. Yep. Eighty million for for um, Muppet, Maguire. Yep. yep. Forty million for Ferran. Ferran. Yeah, Lindelof, and I think it was must have been 30, 35 for Wan Bissaka as well. So no, I think it was forty five. Was it forty five? But yeah, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so probably wrong on that one. How much money have they spent on their back four? Jesus Christ! And unfortunately, I wonder how a certain Paul Scholes must be feeling now because he said that United's defence is better than Chelsea's. Oh dear! Um, is it what? He said Man United's defence, this was before the United-Liverpool game, I believe he actually said it before the Norwich game, that Man United's defence is better than Chelsea's. No. So, yeah, that's... <laughs> I think that, and trust me, I like him. I like Paul Scholes. I think he was one of England's lost players. I think, you know, when he retired from international football at 27, I think it was, that was a real loss to England. Um, but um, and I like him. I've, I've met him, uh, but I, I I just think that that Manchester United should be doing better. But if you look at Pep, you look at Jurgen Klopp, and you look at Thomas Tuchel, they are what I consider elite coaches. They've won the major trophies. The bit, unfortunately. When I look at, at how Chelsea, Liverpool and, our, uh, and uh, Man City play, they have an identity. They have a game plan. You look at it and you know what it is. With Man United, you're looking at it and they've got all big-time players, but there's no organisation. And that's... There's no game plan. And that's the difference between the three I've mentioned and Man United. I'm just hoping Oli lasts until we play him in the end of November. That's what I'm I hope hoping. He's there for 10 years. I hope he's there for 10 years, Keith. <laughs> because for so many years, they were the ones that went out and bought the big players. They were the ones that bought the Ferdinands, the Roonies, the, every year. And they were the ones that won things. Um, and they played off a very uneven ballpark. And, uh, and they dominated football. But uh, now... They're a little bit behind. Well, two players that I want to talk about that probably won't be at a club for 10 years is two players that have divided opinion. Some actually partly want them out already. Um, Hakim Ziyech and Callum Hudson-Odoi. Now, they both started yesterday. Hudson-Odoi uh, started two games in a row because he started against Norwich and he's got his goal and it was a very good finish not taking anything away from him it was a very good finish and he performed well bearing in mind it was against Norwich last night he played in a different position it was more of a wing back role and I, was, I, 
really don't like Callum now. Callum's much better going as a attacking player. But Hakim Ziyech, wow. Um, I'm not his biggest fan, if I'm going to be honest. I don't think that he's got the strength, both physically and mentally, to succeed in this league. Now, I've been wrong before with certain players, but I don't think I'm going to be wrong on this one. He seems, and I did actually say this to a couple of people at the Norwich game, and some of them did sort of agree, he is a poor version of Maluda, whereby he would have one great game, but have six bad ones. He's a poorer version than that. I thought last night he just didn't show anything that warranted him starting for Chelsea. Now, bearing in mind, you've got opportunities now. You've got Lukaku out, Werner out, Pudisic. We don't know when he's going to be back. Mount seems to have got a place for himself after scoring his first hat-trick for Chelsea. Havertz now is going to be the one up front. You've got, you've got a space there. And I look at Callum and I look at Hakeem and I just think, you've got this opportunity to make yourself go up a level in ability and in in the eyes of Chelsea supporters. And I just don't think they're taking it. They are not taking the chance that is there for them. And there's going to come a point where they're going to be the ones that will have, they'll be out on loan for two to three years because obviously with wages, no one can afford them. Transfer fee is going to be ridiculous. They're going to be out on loan for two to three years. And they just would be one of those same players on that wheel where eventually they'll they'll go and they wouldn't fulfill their potential. And I just think that with those two, my God, they need to pull their socks up and take stock of it. Yeah. You look at Loftus-Cheek. Loftus-Cheek has come out of the cold. He came out from Fulham, who got relegated and didn't use him properly. No one was able to afford the loan fee for him. And I did hear the loan fee was quite excessive, but no one was able to, to pay his wages. So Chelsea had no choice but to keep him. He's taken the chance. He's now part of the first team squad. He's now overtaken Saul for me as the, the other midfielder, if Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic are either underperforming or suspended. And I just think you just look at Ziyech's talent. You look at Hudson Adoy's ability. My God, please don't be a don't please don't be a waste of talent. Hudson Kalamadoy, to me, is Chelsea's equivalent to, to Sancho. All the ability in the world, but you get frustrated with those other I get frustrated because you know the ability they've got, but they yeah. don't ever maximise their ability. Um, Ziyech, to me, is a dibby-dabby, flicky player. If things are coming off, he looks good. If they're not coming off, you go ask yourself, what does he do for the team? And there is a massive difference between the Dutch League and the Premier League. A massive difference. Um, and he's fine near hard. So I think he's a little bit dabby, flicky, if it comes off, it looks fantastic. If it doesn't, everyone goes, oh, God, what's he doing? But and, there's been so many players. Listen, I played, I was very instrumental in bringing Roy Wegerly to Chelsea. I saw Roy play for Tampa Bay Rowdies. I went out there on a tour with Queen's Park Rangers and he was unbelievable. He came to Chelsea and in training, 
he was unbelievable and people can believe his ability. Came to Saturday, never performed. Never ever did he do what he could do. Um, yet he went to a smaller club. I think he went to, it was either Luton or QPR after that. And he was unbelievable. And he, all his confidence came, but he couldn't deal with being at Chelsea. He couldn't, he, because it being a big club, and it was his first move, he couldn't deal with it. Um, and I used to say to, to the, the coaching staff, trust me, give him time. He'd be fine. Um, and I think the turn around to me said, he, he's the best player they've ever seen in training and the worst player on a match day they've ever seen. And they can't believe it's two or one. And I think that, that you know, it's frustrating when you see players with all that ability and yet they're wasting it because they aren't, they're not capable of having that. And I go back to the mentality of, of taking it by the scruff of the neck and going out and saying, right, I'm going to show you what a good player I am. They don't do it. And I did say Hudson should have been sold in the close season. You did say it in the summer. I do remember you know, saying it a few there times. There was a deal to be had, maybe a deal to be done where I would have used those boys in a deal. Um, you know, but as I understand it, apart from their European game, um, Tammy's been doing well at Roma. Um, up until I never thought I'd ever see an Italian team beaten by a Norwegian team, managed by Jose Mourinho 6 1. That to me. And what did Jose do? He calls out the players again. Yeah. And you're going to get that wherever he goes. <laughs> but uh, who am I to uh, to criticise someone that brought fame and fortune to Chelsea? One final player I want to touch on and then we'll discuss um, predicting Newcastle's score and we'll touch on one more thing before we do wrap this up. But Saul player that came in with a bit of a reputation at Atletico. He was one of Atletico's top midfielders. He's come in. He's another one for me that hasn't performed brilliantly at Chelsea. I thought last night he looked a little bit rusty. He looked quite off the pace again. He had two great chances to score in the second half. And it was Southampton's goalkeeper, Fraser Forster, that pulled off two wonderful saves. Fantastic saves to deny Saul his first goal for the club. But other than that, he doesn't look like he's got pace. He doesn't look like he's got that strength and ability to try and win the ball in a 50-50 or something. He hasn't really got that in him. I'm just wondering whether or not Chelsea if they looked at the situation with Loftus-Cheek and Barkley and even Billy Gilmore, it's incredible the fact that he's not even in Norwich's first team 11 11 at the moment, whereby they are where they are. I'm just thinking, is that maybe one that... I'm glad it's a loan whereby we're not going to pay because it's it's a buy option, not a permanent option, but it's a, a... possible option of a £34 million deal. You've seen Sal play a little bit. Would you take him? Would you see him as somebody that we could use later on? Or would you just say, cut your losses? We've Thanks. only had one. We've, we've ever only ever signed 
I think it's one player that has been on loan to us. And what I think with... Uh, I think that's right. I think I'm right in saying that. One player, I think. I think if Chelsea, knowing the club, were 100% sure he was going to be, there's no way they'd have signed him on loan. They'd have signed him permanently. So I think there was doubt. And I think what they're doing, and bearing in mind, our football club is the best in the world at selling and signing players. They are. The, the, the financial things they do and the deals they do are by far the it's the best run club I think in world football I really do um, so I think there was a doubt there there was a little doubt in the back of someone's mind whether he could do what he, so what they did they took the next op option sign him on loan with a view to buy otherwise they'd have snapped their hand off it'll be interesting what happens between now and the end of the season with Sal there but it does rumors. take a long time, Keith, for a player to settle into, you know, Spain isn't what Spain, it's not what Spain used to be. Hmm. You know, Barcelona and Madrid aren't the Barcelona and, and Real Madrid of years gone by. You know, and the team that's dominating Spanish football at the moment is Atletico Madrid. Yeah. You know, um, which that hasn't happened for years. Um but they're the, the people that, that are dominating because they, they've gone about their business in a... They don't sign mega superstars. If they do, it's, it's, it's you know, they build a team from, from the roots and they build it up and they, they've got a very good workman-like team. Yeah. Um, but as I say, I think if Chelsea had been 100% sure, they'd have signed him permanently. So there's a little bit of doubt. They'll have a look. Um, and it takes time to settle into this league it takes a great deal of time so let's see yeah absolutely let's see how he goes and there are going to be more games for him to play because we did progress to the next round of the competition through the penalty shootout Reese James got the winning penalty I did get a video of it that is going to be up on our Instagram and Facebook pages so if you want to have a look at it because I know it won't on telly in the UK have a look at it um it's great to be in the quarterfinals. The draw is going to be made on Saturday morning, which is a bit bonkers, if you ask me. It should be done you know, after the games in midweek. But let's see who we play. Before we sort of touch on to the very end of the show, Steve, I wanted to sort of get your predictions as part of the uh, Blue Day podcast score predictor league, which John Dempsey at the moment is still top. You are close second with Mark Nichols quite sort of behind you at the moment. Um, not much, but he's, he's, he's still behind. So bearing in mind the changes that were made for last night's game and how Newcastle, although they've got the money, they still haven't got the players. What do you predict for Saturday? Do you predict another win? Do you, what's, your, what's your feeling on the weekend's game, Steve? Uh, I, I listen. I think they were they escaped from jail. Um, um, Crystal Palace. I think Crystal Palace should have won that game three times over. Um, there's no, you know, the players might be working harder because they think they can get a bigger contract. But um, I think they were very fortunate to come away from 
Crystal Palace. I think that man, for what it's worth, has, has had one of the hardest jobs in the in the uh, country, uh, Patrick Vieira. I think he had players coming out of contract, players leaving, and I think he's done really well and built a good a good side there. Um, and I thought they were very unlucky against uh, Newcastle. Um, and I think we will beat Newcastle. I think we would, you know, Graham Jones is in charge now, which, again, I think is a real insult to uh, Steve Bruce. Um, when you consider that he had an absolutely torrid time at Luton. I think he won, what, two games in 28 as a manager? And now he's in charge of Newcastle United. Um, and I think, you know, mind you, there's, there's a big rumour about their... They're going to get the Ajax manager now. Um, so, well, that's what um, they want. That might be- it all depends on if, if they can get him. But I know that there are going to, there are other clubs, more prestige names that are going to be after the Ajax manager. But, Steve, just to sort of wrap it up, what do you think the score will be for Saturday? I think, uh, I think we win and we win well. And I think we win 3-0. Okay. During the international break, I promise, and I did. I have sent this to a, a few people, but I will put it out in public, and I will send it to everybody who is involved in the league table. The league table from top to bottom of uh, who who is where and how many points. I will upload that during the international break. But to end the show, t- uh, Steve, I just want to sort of get your sort of fault and maybe one or two stories we've just recent our last episode we had uh teddy maybank on the podcast reflecting back on his career and he's somebody that you know quite well again coming through the ranks at chelsea and he's somebody who knew ray wilkins quite well and somebody who knew john sparrow well as well and he sort of touched on them as well with the interview that we did last week so just to sort of wrap today's show up Steve what are your memories of Teddy Maybank at Chelsea Teddy was alive and soul of everything he was um, a great character he went on a football field and he worked his socks off he was one of those that gave 100% you can, these people that say you know gave 110% he can only give 100% and he gave 100% every single game he was a little bit unlucky uh, because he he, uh, he came into a struggling Chelsea side when he first started, he got he made his debut in the team that got relegated. That's right, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but he was life and soul of the party. Yeah, all those boys were. There were no superstars. Well, there was, but he never considered himself a superstar. And that was Ray. Ray never considered himself a superstar. He was one of the boys we had. Great times we went through, so much together. Um, and we saw our football club that we all loved crumble in front of us, you know. Uh, and I mean crumble, financially crumble. Mm. And it, it was heartbreaking. Um, and it got to the stage where the likes of Teddy, Ray Lou were sold. Um, they were the first, well, Teddy was the first to go, I think. He went to, where did he go? Fulham, I think. Teddy went to Fulham, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was it was sad because we'd gone through, you know, from the age of 13, 14, we knew each other. Hmm. Um, and it was sad to see. I lived with Teddy. He was, he was my digs for 
two years in Mitcham with <laughs> with Big Ted and, and you know his, his lovely mum. Um, we, we, he was a great lad, great lad. Like as I said, real character, life and soul of the party. And I'm sure you got the, the drift of that. I certainly you, did. He was. You would say he's a character. <laughs> he. He was fantastic at the interview last week. I did appreciate his time. And I think with his stories and that era at Chelsea, we have got a lot of good feedback from them, particularly uh, episodes and interviews. Teddy Maybank's one. The listening figures have been quite well. Bearing in mind that he didn't play that many times for Chelsea, although... He was there at that, as you say, at the era with Ray Wilkins and Mickey Droy, for example, as well. So, if you want to hear more of the X interviews, we've got some you know varied sort of players that played for Chelsea over the last decades, the likes of Gavin Peacock from the nineties, from the eighties. If you want to sort of listen to that, you've got Pat Nevin. That's not my phone, by the way. Um, if you want to, not hear my from phone us, either. That's, the, <laughs> that's right, my 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 PA is sorting that. Um, oh, if you want to hear great stories from the 70s, you've got the likes of Ron Harris. You've got our very own Steve Wicks that was one of my, me personally, one of my favourite episodes. You've got likes of John Sparrow as well. So if, if you want to hear some interviews, some great stories on Chelsea that you perhaps you don't normally hear from, from other people, listen to our interviews that you can find on YouTube. You can find on facebook.com slash the Blue Day podcast and click on the link there. And we will up, we will hopefully between now and Christmas have some more interviews lined up, especially with the Christmas season upon us. We will we would like to give a bit of a treat to our listeners as well, Steve. So, Keith, all I'm saying, the most frightening time as a Chelsea footballer I ever had was when Eddie McCready put the team sheet up and Ron Harris was sub and we had a five-a-side on the Friday. He put the team sheet up on a Thursday and we had a five-a-side on a Friday. That was the most frightening time ever because I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, Ron was after his place no matter what and it was a nightmare. You had to really watch yourself. If you want to hear more stories like that, find us, as I said, on YouTube, on facebook.com slash Blue Day Podcast. We've got some unbelievable guests. For those that know about it, you know who they are. If you're new to it, please find us. They're, they're not hard to find. Just type in Blue Day Podcast and they, they are there. But we're going to enjoy, hopefully, the weekend with another win up at Newcastle to keep the blue flag flying high. But I've been Keith Lawrence. He's been Steve Wicks. Thanks very much for listening. Stay safe and carefree. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Social Podcast Network. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 
la nueva marca Break Best Select Pro de O'Reilly Auto Parts eleva el estándar de las balatas y discos de freno para vehículos nacionales. Para fórmulas de fricción específicas para cada vehículo, cuñas antirruido Quaitec y herrajes de acero inoxidable, elige Break Best Select Pro de venta exclusiva en tu tienda O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 